0: And welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardis, and today we got some more preseason breakdowns. We got Mac Jones stealing, not stealing, just winning the Patriots QB1 job and also some breakout candidates, veteran rookies, all that good stuff. So I know a lot of you, maybe you've had your fantasy drafts over the past two weeks. Maybe it's going to be on Labor Day weekend either way. We got week one, only one week away, and we still got to stay up to date with all these rosters. So I've watched all the preseason games, broken down everything, and my co-host has gone through everything here as well. So you've heard him on here often. Dwayne, The Rock, McFarland. if you haven't caught our FFPC hashtag high stakes draft, uh, you can check that out on the Tuesday edition of this podcast. Also uh, went live on YouTube, courtesy of the fine folks at StreamYard. But Dwayne, happy Tuesday, man.
1: Man, great day to be great, as you would say, Ian. I hate to steal it. Man, that was a a great draft last night. If people haven't seen that, it's great to go back and look. Now, we drafted well, but we also got really lucky with the guy that was in the (laughs) two-hole. It took 20... you know, he only drafted, just so you guys know, two receivers. You got to go listen. He drafted two receivers uh, the whole draft. And I can't remember again how many running backs, but I think it was like uh, a tight end and then like eight running back straight or something like that.
0: There was like four or five tight end. This was a tight end premium, but that auto-drafted him absolutely no favors. I can't, you know, look, I, I'm sure we've all missed a pick here
1: and there. And, and maybe- he wasn't an auto-draft. He, there were no asterisks by any of his picks. Those were all his picks or her picks. Or their picks. <laughs> that wasn't an auto draft. No, it was not an auto draft. How you oh know gosh. when you go back and look at that board? Anytime you see an asterisk next to a, to the name, that was an auto pick. Now, a player, uh, whoever the the um, the manager of the fantasy team, I'm learning these things. Whoever the manager was, could have already had their queue set up, and so you'll notice if it doesn't come off the top of the list, that's sitting there in the in the normal queue. That means that they had set up their own order, and it's going off of that.
0: Unfreaking!
1: <laughs> You're even more blown away now.
0: <laughs> I I knew it was a bad team, but I thought we were like just piling on an auto draft, which like why would you no. auto draft a high stakes team? Okay, he actually didn't. That just was his.
1: Um, that was that he, was the strategy. Wow.
0: Okay. Well, best of luck to him. And I swear to God, Dwayne, if we lose the team too, uh, we're going to have to reassess some parts of our life, but that's enough about that draft. Again, check it out. Uh, Tuesday edition, Dwayne and I will probably get at least one, if not two more of those streams up over the next two weeks. So appreciate everyone that checked that out live, but yes, people, as we have done the past two, uh, Wednesdays over the past two weeks, we have gone through and broken down the key fancy notes you need ahead of just after recapping basically all the preseason action. So before we get to that, obviously, uh, result of what happened in the preseason has caused our first marquee quarterback change. Mac Jones is in. Cam Newton has been released. Now, obviously, Cam, you know, missing a good chunk of practice time with him not being vaccinated. That's kind of the first thing everyone jumped to. And I don't know why Cam got cut and Brian Hoyer is still there. Like to me, that's a pretty ridiculous uh decision. But in terms of Mac versus Cam, I mean, Mac won this job. Our boss man, Chris Collinsworth, said it himself in his tweet. Mac Jones won the job. End of story. PFF passing grade among 65 qualified preseason quarterbacks. First, one kept clean. First, under pressure. First, pass the sticks. First, 20 yards downfield. First. Mac Jones was lights out all preseason long. And we said this before, Dwayne. Like when you draft a quarterback, not different from your starter, Obviously, your offense is going to change. Why not go to the guy early? Obviously, we had the 49ers and the Bears still trying to come to grips with that reality. But to me, like this wasn't super surprising. Gun to my head, I was thinking Cam Newton was going to start the season just after we didn't get, you know, Belchek explicitly naming uh Mac over the past week. But I really didn't change too many. Obviously, we had to shuffle the bottom of the quarterback ranks a little bit. But for me, Damon Harris, even Jacoby Aguilar, I'm not buffing these guys up that much just because I figured this change was gonna to come in the first month of the season anyway what do you how do you feel about the situation mac jones damian harris Jacoby myers all these guys what's the impact of the move
1: yeah you're we're similar i had them basically split on snaps because i just wasn't i I didn't know who may start more or whatever but i was just worried about part you know uh, parcells belichick using you know interchangeable uh players even potentially rotating but um To your point, I haven't bumped guys up a lot. I'll run through it real quick. So the big takeaways for me, New England, before I had them dropping back to uh, pass on 56% of their plays. So that means they're going to try a pass attempt. It could turn into a scramble or a sack, right? Um, So now I bumped that up to 60-40 with Mac Jones on the team, mostly because... Um, you know, I see them trying to just be a little less run heavy because you're going to lose the design runs for Cam Newton. I had had Cam Newton taking on 17.5% of the design rushes and with him gone, I don't think just all of that goes to the backs. I think they'll run a little bit less. And then you get rid of the scrambles that would have gone to Cam Newton. So, what you end up with is about a 60-70% to 70% bump in pass attempts for the team once you take out sacks. And so, I mean, that's basically like an extra you know, two games of passing volume for the receivers. So, they do get even though I'm not changing their target shares and things like that, they get a slight bump from that. But to your point, it's not enough for me to really want to move them up the ranks. I've got them all. I I was already pretty aggressive on Jacoby Myers anyway. Um, I think, you know, talent usually wins out, you know, um, targets usually come because players can get open, all those sorts of things. But we have to admit, like Cam, like 100 percent, like locked on to Jacoby. So I'll be interested to see, does that continue on with Mac Jones? Um, If Myers is really the best player, the best target on the team, you know, it probably will, but it's just something to keep an eye on. It's not, I'm not moving Myers down, but I'm also not really moving him up. Um, so even though he gets a slight bump, you know, in my projections, but from a ranking standpoint, I'm keeping him right there. Um, if you look at, um, Damian Harris, I mean, you know, the big thing is you don't have to worry about Cam Newton taking those carries inside the five. And that's a big part of Damian Harris's value. But there's no need to get crazy. This is not a Tom Brady-led offense. Well, as much as we may like Mac Jones, like this is going to be an offense that's not going to look like some of the the Patriots' offenses from the past. So when I hear folks on Twitter get excited and say, oh, yeah, it could be like LeGarrette Blount in 2016 or whatever when he scored, I don't know, 400 rushing touchdowns from inside the five— I just don't see that kind of upside, but I think there's definitely uh, an increase in upside for Damian Harris now, as far as the touchdowns go. I don't expect I gave him a few more attempts Ian. I don't know what you did, but I bumped him. I had had um, looking at it right now. I had him um, sitting at uh, 45% of the rushing attempts before because of Newton and those designed attempts but I bumped him to 52%, so that's 232 attempts that I have him at at four and a quarter per carry, 985 yards, nine rushing touchdowns. Still not very involved in the passing game, though. I only gave him 6% of the targets. Um, so I've got him at 27 receptions for 212 yards, zero touchdowns. He could use to score a score touchdown there. That can be kind of random. Um, so, but that puts me at 200 points, uh, in a six, in a 17 game season. So if you want to think of it from a context of a 16 game season, cause that's what most people's brains wrap around, that would have been 190 points. So I've, I've got him up in the same range, um, is like Kareem Hunt, Gus Edwards, all those, a little bit below Gus Edwards, but above Kareem Hunt. I believe there's still going to be three backs involved. Um, James White, is pretty much handling all the passing down roles all preseason he did it last year as well Um, so that's going to be a problem not going to be many receptions and I think they're going to have a third back involved and I think Ramondre Stevenson will be involved Sonny Michelle, yes he moves on but I've got Ramondre Stevenson taking over 20% of the rushing attempts. so he was down at like 10 so I have him picking up um, you know about 10% of what Cam's leaving on the table and I've got Damian Harris picking up 7% of the rushing attempt so 52% to Harris 17.5% to James White 20% to Ramondre Stevenson so Stevenson's not a guy like I'm pounding the table for or anything here but if harris were to go down i do think stevenson would be the player to step into harris's role and then oh by the way jj Taylor's probably going to be involved so it's just a deal where we know they like to use a committee um, i know that could change but this is a really long-standing history with bill belichick so when i a lot of times i i think people overrate like how much the coach you know influences the way these things happen but when you got a track record this long i definitely pay attention
0: Yeah, Damon Harris, my RB26, looking at his ADP, comes in as the RB26. I think the folks are catching up. Shout out to underdog fantasy's own Josh Norris. He's been beating this drum throughout the offseason, saying the Patriots are going back to bully ball and all that. And, hey, it could happen. I think he's fine. But you're right, man. He's right there in the Josh Jacobs, Raheem Mostert, Gus Edwards. You know, all those guys. I got Daryl Henderson in that same kind of tier as well. I know you're a little higher on Jacobs, but that that, that, uh, point aside, yeah, it's just going to be tough for him unless he gets this absolute boom touchdown total to be the sort of RB1 that a lot of people are hoping he could eventually turn into. So I guess the biggest factor is the presence of Taylor or Stevenson in this committee. We saw the snaps in week three go back to just uh, you know, Damian and James White with the first team after Sony got involved in week two. That's great. But like for them to trade Sony, I think that tells you all you need to know about how they feel about Stevenson and about Taylor behind them. So even if it's not right away, and even if Harris is gonna be the number one guy, this is still a backfield that we're both expecting more weeks than not to consist of three, if not four backs that's going to be a problematic uh, trying to guess in fantasy land more times than not in terms of Mac Jones himself, though, Dwayne, because we all know dual threat quarterbacks as great as they are, you know, they don't help their teammates. They steal rushes <laughs> exactly. inside the guard line. They scramble instead of checking down. You end up getting these run first offenses with not many pass catchers, and the quarterback is just, you know, sc- vulturing basically his own teammates. So, Mac Jones, just from that perspective, will I think enhance the value of everyone involved. But from Mac Jones himself, I cannot get behind him. He comes in as my QB. 30, you know, I put him ahead of Jared Goff. I felt like I was being nice there, but even like Derek Carr, Ben Rossberger, Daniel Jones, I'll take those guys right now. It's, you know, I'm not picking any of these guys in my fantasy drafts. I guess is the point I'm trying to make here with Mac. He might very well be the next big thing down the line. But I just think if you look historically at the great rookie quarterbacks, we've had Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, RG three, Dak, Russell Wilson, Kyla Murray, all those guys. And then Justin Herbert, most recently, Herbert was the only exception. All those guys averaged at least 25 rushing yards per game in college and got the week one start. I mean, Mac Jones totaled 42 rushing yards in 30 career games. I know sacks don't help that in college. I realized his athleticism was a little bit better than a lot of people thought, uh, you know, at the combine. But Dwayne, I just think we're looking at a quarterback who's not exactly going to be pushing for the league lead in pass attempts. And when you take away his potential to give you anything resembling a rushing floor, like, that's just not a situation I'm trying to buy into for Mac. So, you know, it's okay if you're in super flex two QB dynasty, if you feel good about the guy long-term, that's one thing I would just say, you know, don't let this really big headline kind of influence you ahead of your fantasy draft this week. Like Dwayne, if you're in a single QB, even like super flex league, you can't be looking at Mac until we're like what later mid rounds.
1: Yeah. I mean a super flex, obviously that changes everything, but yeah, I'm not drafting him in a, in a one quarterback you know, format, unless, you know, I'm playing in some gargantuan, like 16 team league, but <laughs> in most leagues, like 12, 10 teamers, you know, I've got them at 570 attempts, uh, 377 completions, 3,990 yards, 24 touchdowns, 14 picks, two rushing touchdowns. So, I mean, it puts them right at like 270 270- points you know so i think where you could start to make tiebreakers is kind of like what you said other other quarterbacks and i don't pretend to be like so great at projections that like when i've got 10 to 20 points apart like that i think that's huge i think that's close right especially once you get to these bottom range quarterbacks but i think you named the right ones daniel jones sam darnold uh, Jared Goff, that, that's kind of the range. I'm taking him over Carson Wentz right now because I worry about Wentz's injury. Um, but I think a, a player like Jameis Winston probably still gives you more upside, you know, as long as Taysom Hill isn't coming in and poaching. I agree. I like Zach Wilson over him. Um, I, yeah, I even like Ben Roethlisberger. But I, I think you... Got the sweet spot there. I would put him right in that Jared Goff, Sam Darnold range. And, and and if you're just down on Daniel Jones, that's fine too. I think I think you and I can accept that. Like Daniel Jones hasn't looked great. So if somebody would rather take the unknown. Um, my problem is I'm just not crazy about the weapons, you know. And I know that Bill Belichick is going to be willing to win the game playing defense and protecting uh, you know, his rookie quarterback, if he needs to, it's not like Tom Brady, you know, was a hall of fame quarterback, you know, just chunking the ball all over the field in his first season, um, you know, with Bill Belichick, there were plenty of games where they tried to manage that. Now in year two, they did come out and surprise everyone and just spread the field against these big defenses like the Steelers and just, and Brady went nuts. But what I think is going to happen is there's still going to be, you know, 60, 40 is still, you know, where I've got him 60 pass dropbacks versus 40% rushing. That's still, you know, that's, that's not like aggressive, you know, on the passing side. So yeah, I'm with you. I've got him sandwiched right in there. You know, I know uh, the thing is like, I've got him right around Darnold, but you could argue that both ways. Right. You could say, well, Mac Jones, I've got the unknown, but Darnold definitely has the better weapons. Right. And it's in an offense where we saw them be willing just to drop back a lot and throw the ball a ton last year. Um, And so I might even lean Darnold, you know, if I had to flip a coin there, just because I like the weapons. Now I know Darnold, Ian. I'm sorry. Like you're probably like having a short circuit right now and you're I got Darnold <laughs> ahead of them too. But Twain, I'll, oh <laughs> I'll be honest. Oh my God, you do? I'll be honest with right. you,
0: Dwayne. I don't care about any of this anymore because we got okay. some pretty news. The Vikings have solved their tight end issue per at rap sheet. They traded for a young, promising tight end, Dwayne. Guess who that tight end is? Chris Herndon's on the Minnesota Vikings, baby. Oh,
1: my gosh. We're back. Chris Herndon's tight end one
0: season is back. All you haters, all those wasted 15th round picks, we're back and we're coming for blood, baby. Irv Smith, Tyler Conklin's out. Chris Herndon's got Kirk Cousins at quarterback now. Adam Gase is somewhere else. Who the hell cares? Chris Herndon season.
1: I I like it. I am ecstatic. I've been very writing this morning. Have we gotten news on Irv Smith? Like, is he like is it worse than what we thought kind of thing? Um, I mean, or do you know, Chris Herndon is,
0: isn't Herndon is the better player. Okay. I'm kidding everyone. I know Earthsmith is better than Chris Herndon, but it seems like four to six is the kind of okay. line I'm yeah.
1: seeing to an extent. Yeah. And I, I mean, know you've got You've got an awesome guest later. That's the right person to ask this question, but
0: yeah. Yeah, everyone check out uh thursday edition of this podcast i will have dr edwin porus on to get all the injury breakdowns but this is legit i mean big news here Dwayne. like herndon he's not going to be a tight end one by any stretch but we're now at least back in the top 20. we're back to tight end two territory this is a big step i mean our truther meetings that we have on you know, every thursday for herndon like we were dwindling down man it was only me and a few jets fans at this point so This could be something, Dwayne. I know Tyler Conklin has been banged up as well. If he's back, he could very well be the starter, like well in front of Herndon. I get that, but the reason that, as much as Smith was having some nice usage in the preseason, like Conklin wasn't playing, that was the concern there. We're expecting a split situation, so. Thinking, yeah, no, I think uh, it's. I think think, think, might be no, right? We don't
1: know these guys, and we know this is a team. The other thing just to remember: no team ran more twelve personnel, two tight ends last year than the Vikings. So we know they want to run this personnel group. So the other part of this is they just, they need the depth. especially when you really don't have a legit wide receiver three. Um, so I, I agree with you. I still feel good about Irv as long as he's going to come back. But, you know, right now it's an unknown. You and I took him last night in that draft um, just because he fell to a spot where we're like, oh, we'll take a stab at it. And if he ends up being out, we'll just, we'll dump him later. Um, but the, the beauty is I, that means we're prob- I'm probably in a league with you where I get to pick up Chris Herndon. And I know you'll be excited. Oh, I'm just ecstatic. I
0: did not hear your entire like second half of the Mac Jones reel. Cause I just, you know, it's funny when something happens to Chris Herndon or Auden Tate makes another spectacular contested catch, like my mentions just immediately <laughs> fill up. But I love it. So thank you all uh for doing that. So always love breaking some news on the pod. Dwayne, you're my good luck charm, man. I remember last year you were on here and AJ Brown scored a touchdown when we were talking uh in his first game back. I think he might have been here when Des got the COVID against the Cowboys, but whatever, you know. I guess a broke clock is, uh, right. Twice a day. Great people. Sorry. We got a little bit off the rails there. We'll try to regain our composure and move forward. I had a couple other things I want to talk about with these, uh, you know, first round quarterbacks, excluding Mac Jones. One interesting thing I found with Justin Fields. And first of all, people, I get it. It's preseason. This is a time where we can't look at stats and just assume that they're going to transition to the regular season. Historically, that's not happening. So I'm not you know, saying that this is a kryptonite for fields necessarily. It was interesting to, to see though, Dwayne, among 65 quarterbacks with at least 25 dropbacks, fields had by far the single highest average release time at 3.5 seconds. Now last year, four quarterbacks hit that mark. Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Taysom Hill. Obviously, Fields being a dual threat player, having the ability to extend plays, like that's naturally going to lead to a higher average release time. I'm not saying, you know, this stat, just like any other stat, is this end-all, be-all opinion of a guy. With that said, you know, Mike Renner and our PFF draft guy coming out, the one primary negative on Fields, play speed a tick slower than where you'd like it. When in doubt, he holds the ball. This was kind of the issue going through. And hey, maybe it was because Fields was out there not playing with the first team receivers. Maybe it's because he was having... A horrific time with that offensive line, but we have also proven drain, you know, some of these PFF studies, that pressure does tend to be a little bit more of a quarterback stat. And the only team that was under pressure more often than the Bears this preseason was the Atlanta Falcons. So do you think that this, again, this tendency fields has to hold the ball a little bit longer? Like, could that be something now where Nagy sees this and almost just relies on Dalton longer than we could even fathom because he's worried about the guy's health. I'm still on the record saying I want fields out there week one he should have been starting week one in the preseason for goodness sake this is interesting though because it's a it's it's a small red flag and to me it's only relevant because again this is one of the primary negatives on fields coming out what are your thoughts i guess on the dalton field situation and if you're putting much stock into this finding
1: um you know some uh, I mean, it's like you said, if you go back and you look over the years, I mean, you have some of these quarterbacks that are willing to hold the ball longer. Russell Wilson's been in that category before, uh, Aaron Rodgers has been in that category before. So as long as you know how to navigate the pocket and avoid the pressure to your point, because the quarterback does own part of that. And it's more than just getting the ball out fast. There's different ways to help alleviate pressure and the way that you manage the pocket. And if field shows that he can do that then that can be actually a positive asset because what it means is, is it's opening up the door for more big plays. If you can hold the ball longer and give your receivers longer to get open and also read the field, keep your eyes down downfield, all those things and have that feel, um, it, can, it can actually work out to be a positive thing. It can really lead to big plays. And that could help Allen Robinson. That could help uh, Darnell Mooney. That could help Cole Komet. All those sorts of players could get an actual boost. Now, the, the real wild card is what you ask. Like, will Matt Nagy, will, will he allow that? Does he like that? Or does he see that as being, um, because it has to be all of those things. If they, if he doesn't have a feel for the pocket where he can buy the time and he's not getting sacked on those plays um, and open up the door to make the bigger plays. And if he's not reading the field the way they want him to, well then holding the ball a long time doesn't help you. You've got to be able to do those other things. So I think it's still probably a TBD for me, but I'm with you just from a perspective of if I'm on a draft, you know, an upside quarterback, you know, in rounds 12 through 14 and Fields has slid a little bit here lately, especially in some of the sharper drafts, um, you know, I'm still okay with taking him. You, you just got to know that it could be several weeks before you see him. To your point, it could be worst case that you don't get to see him at all. We've kind of been spoiled with some of these things that we've seen um, from really rookies across all positions over the last couple of years that causes us to all have these higher expectations than maybe we even should. It's We're kind of at that pivot point of, do we take this new data over the last few years that we've seen with rookies and is that now the norm? You know, or are we still in an early enough honeymoon phase where, you know, actually rookies could still struggle, right? And they may not continue to do as well as what we've seen in the past and they could kind of slide back more to what we had seen pre the last two or three years. So I think it's interesting. It's something go either way. Um, this will be an important year uh, in the data points for, you know, rookies and what our expectations are in their first years.
0: I do lean towards rookies at all positions becoming more quickly high-end fantasy factors than we saw in the past because – look at high school, look at college, Mm -hmm. like football at all three levels has gotten smarter and smarter and more and more. We're seeing concepts that are using the pros kids are already learning to do when they're 16 years old, obviously sports science and, you know, developing their physique and all this, all this stuff is at all time highs. Now you could also say the 25 year olds in the league are also benefiting from all this. So feasibly they should be doing better than the incoming guys. But to your point, it is a great, you know, this will be a good test year for it. Same thing with uh, the undersized wide receivers. I mean, in this class of just one, you know, Mickey mouse size guy after another, you know, how many times do we hear Devonte Smith? Uh, oh, well, we've only had X number of receivers play under 170 pounds. It's a new league. I mean, how many yeah. times does a guy yeah. get hit hard in the chest and there's just a flag thrown for no reason other than like, please don't hit each other as hard as we're used to seeing. So important yeah. uh, league wide trends to keep
1: rule changes are huge. And to your point, it's different now used to, it was a trickle down right from the nfl the nfl thought they had the best offensive minds and they knew everything that they you know they were leading the way and that's where the whole pro style offense quote unquote thing came from right now uh you have the guys in college learning from the guys in high school and that's where the innovations occurring and then that's being tweaked upon in college and the nfl coaches um, even the best ones like Bill Belichick, I give him credit for this like 10 years ago, right? Started going and hanging out with Urban Meyer and a lot of these different, um, you know, head coaches, Nick Saban, and just trying to understand like, what were the new things they're doing in college. And so that's a big difference um, to your point is now the NFL is actually trying to incorporate concepts that are coming up from high school and up from college and those and the players that are coming in have already used those things and it's just more of a player's league you know it's less of a coach's league where everything has to be about run the scheme it's much more about hey how do you best utilize your players and that's a good thing
0: okay want to touch on these other two quarterbacks briefly trevor lawrence lit up the Cowboys defense. It's funny, you know, only, only certain guys, CeeDee Lamb, Trevor Lawrence, LaVisca Chanel, you got to be the certain guy to really get praise from the Twitter masses when you beat up the Cowboys. Odell Beckham does not apply to that group. <laughs> but, you know, I thought uh, D- I thought Deontay Lee, PFFs, you know, one of our just sharp-ass NFL analysts, the stuff him and Seth just put out on a weekly basis absolutely blows my Fire. mind every time I read it. But Deontay had a good tweet, at PFF underscore D Lee, just simply stating that, Trevor Lawrence was made in the lab. And that is kind of the impression you get sometimes when you see this dude put the ball wherever he wants, you know, it was not, not concerning. None of us were ever, you know, raising red flags. The fact that he hadn't scored a touchdown in the first two preseason games, it was good to get reminded of just how good Lawrence could be looking forward to seeing his debut against, you know, a not very good Houston, Texans defense going to go on a limb there. Dwayne. I think the bigger news story is Trey Lance and Jimmy G. Jimmy got the start, played 14 snaps with the starters, but Lance in those first two drives was also in there for 10 snaps before working strictly with the backups. Obviously they could continue to use the strategy, or maybe Kyle Shanahan pulled a fast one and just wanted teams to have to study this. I guess my biggest feel with it one To me, this now looks more like a Lamar Jackson, Joe Flacco situation, as opposed to the, you know, worst case Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, plan that we've seen laid out over the years. And two, I'm pretty happy for the potential of this just with the best ball teams. Like, it's almost like when you get Taysom Hill in the last round, when we were doing it before uh, the quarterback battle was over, if you look at the backup quarterbacks around the league, there's what three that could maybe give you a usable week, like without being a starter, maybe even two, I can only think of Taysom and Trey Lance off the top of my head. So at a minimum, like, great, we're actually getting some touches on the regular season when we're not starting yet. And it's looking more likely than ever that Lance can get that job, at least by the midway point, because again, people, Lance Fields. We're telling you to draft Kirk Cousins early. That's going to get you through the first seven games, and we just need Lance to get the job by November 21st when he finishes the year with the Jaguars, the Vikings, the Seahawks, the Bengals, the Falcons, the Titans, and Week 17 Championship Sunday, the Houston Texans. So, Dwayne, thoughts on the QB rotation? Do you expect it to continue in the Week One? And how much longer do we have to wait for Lance to win this job?
1: Yeah, I do think it's going to continue into week one. And I think really how long we have to wait is up to Lance. Like, I mean, he hasn't looked great. Um, We know that he brings different intangibles than what Jimmy G brings to the table, but he's got to do his part. You know, I mean, he's got it. He's got to look better. He's got to look better. Um, He's got to just play better. And once that happens, like, I think it could be, you know, kind of like what we saw with Lamar Jackson, you know, remember when he was rotating in and out, you know, early on with Buffalo, I mean, Buffalo, Baltimore, and then, ended up at the end of that season he and he he took over right we've heck, heck we've seen this with the 49ers before remember back in the day and it wasn't a rookie season but you remember when alex smith was off to that great start with the niners under harbaugh and then they just went to kaepernick and they went I out to the super bowl that year
0: i think smith got concussed he missed one game kaepernick came in and just played it and bet. it was over i was like yeah and okay so
1: that kind of thing can happen and jimmy g has definitely been a player that you know has had his fair share of injuries. So that's the other open door. I think there's a lot of paths to getting Lance in there. My one concern with him is, is people have just gotten so high Ian. like I love him. He's part of my, uh, if you've read my quarterback uh, plan for how you should handle your strategy for your drafts, Lance is definitely, you know, in there, in there, he's a component of it, but I'm taking him when he slides, you know, I'm not, I do not feel like I have to have Trey Lance in the 10th round. And I see a lot of people taking someone like, um, you know, say uh, Josh Allen or even an Aaron Rodgers or uh, a Tom Brady, and then turning around and feeling like they have to hammer Lance right away. Um, and I, I feel like there's so much meat on the bone at all these other positions in those spots, in those rounds. Like, I'm just not going to force it. But when, but when it falls to me, I'm okay with it. Because I do think there's a scenario where Lance, you know, if you've got to wait until those last four weeks, it's tough to hold a quarterback, On your roster, unless you're in a super flex, it's tough to hold a quarterback that long, Um, especially when you know bye weeks are going to be nuts. When we get to week seven, you're going to have injuries on your team, you're going to have half the league off, it feels like. Um, And so there's going to come these points where people are going to start releasing guys like this if they don't get on the field soon enough now maybe that's maybe that's the real answer you know draft them at a value and then when your league mates start cutting them if you can find a way to make that pickup especially depending on what you've got at quarterback and how you feel about it then that's when you can grab a guy like Lance or fields
0: yeah and i would just say you know my draft strategy with lance has always been we're getting him and then cousins later. And those are two double digit picks. Yeah. If you're getting Brady, yeah. if you're getting Rogers, one of these guys like, no, you don't need Lance all of a sudden. So yeah, don't yeah. be wasting, you know, two top 10 top 11 picks on quarterbacks. Now all of a sudden we're jeopardizing two of our more important picks. And one of them is going to be on the bench or cut before too long. Cause that's just how roster construction works. Moving right along. Quick shout out, Tyler Huntley. Not one, not two, not three, not four, five touchdowns against the Washington football team. Had a deep ball drop, had another potential touchdown drop. I just really enjoyed watching uh, Tyler, you know, play, play football because as much as uh, the preseason performance and stuff doesn't matter, hey, it's still football, Dwayne, and it was good to see him absolutely ball out. I believe Trace McSorley will still be the QB2 once he's back in action. But again, shout out Tyler Huntley. Look forward to watching him play many more preseason games over the years. I want to talk a little about Sam Darnold here. From the box score last week went well, 19 to 25, 162 yards, pair of scores against the Steelers. With that said, average target depth, 4.7 yards, Dwayne. That's the second lowest mark among 65 qualified quarterbacks. You don't need to throw the ball downfield. Drew Brees never ranked higher than 16th in deep ball rate on average. He was 27th from 2006, 2020. But. The leaders in L- Shores, ADOT in 2020, you, you can kind of see the picture pretty quickly. Alex Smith, Jimmy G, Drew Brees, Jared Goff. It's a bunch of guys that can't create off script. And because of that, they dink and dunk and they take usually take the first thing that's there. What's interesting to me is this is not who Sam Darnold usually was. If anything, the best we saw from Darnold was when he would extend the play a little bit, ideally not get sacked or fumbled a few times out. He could avoid that obstacle and then start, you know, playing backyard football. So much like the field stat, I'm not saying this is a negative in and of itself for Darnold. But I'm curious to see, you know, what this comes next year. Yes, Teddy Checkdown, down. We call him that. He has a low eight dot. He was 7.6 yards though. I mean, Darnold was almost three entire yards below that. So I saw some people, you know, already trying to pull, you know, the we're crowning Sam Darnold now because he's away from Adam Gase thing. Chill on that. That's all I'm gonna say. Let's see what happens, Dwayne, because I think the low ADOT could be good for the receivers as a whole, and I think you have some thoughts on that in relation to DJ Moore. But again, just in terms of evaluating Sam standard of seeing if he can take this next step, I still need to see more.
1: Yeah. I, I just think it's a small sample size is all, um, you know, we got a half of football. My guess is that A. Dot's going to come up, you know, to your point, he's been an 8.8 and 8.1 in 2019 and 2020 um, versus last year you had Teddy at a 7.6. So some of it can be a meet in the middle based on what the coordinator wants, right? And, and the depth, you know, of the routes that they're running receivers typically own their route depth, but coordinators do have can have an influence on these things, right? And we're even seeing that with DJ Moore, which I'll talk about in a second. But just real quick on Sam Darnold, what I like about Darnold overall, um, if you look at short passing, so one to nine yards, Teddy Bridgewater, 46% of his attempts uh, come in that range. If you look at the seasons where he's actually, you know, played played enough. Um, and so if if you look at Sam Darnold though, he's been, uh, sorry, yeah. So Teddy was at 46 um, in the short 1 to 9 yards 42% and 43% you know for for Don, for Darnold then if you look at the intermediate section of the field right which is 10 to 19 yards that's where Teddy um his percentage of passes typically 19% uh than he had uh cuz I have to look at the years Teddy actually played enough games here sorry 17% and 17% Whereas Darnold's been a 22 percent, a 24 percent, a 25 percent, so he's he's attacking that intermediate area of the field far more. And then if you look at deep passing, um, they're a little closer. Bridgewater was at 10 percent, and that's 20 yards or more. Bridgewater was at 10 percent last year. Darnold's been at nine and 11 percent, um, but in his rookie year he was at 13 percent. Um, so I, I really think that intermediate, that short and intermediate passing game. Um, that's where I think you're going to see some of the difference you know between the two and so I think it'll ultimately end up balancing out and I think you know the Panthers have you know the receivers to make this work the exciting thing about DJ Moore is he's just running a wider variety of routes last year they were really using him more as the field stretcher which is okay good a dot means high air yards and so fewer targets can turn into more um, the The catch 22 with this is if if Moore's going to run more intermediate and short routes you know his target percentage needs to come up a little bit but I think that's totally possible it's in the range of outcomes for more. You just want, you want to own players that are getting to run the full route tree. And we've seen more be able to do that. We now know he can win deep. We know he can win underneath and run after the catch. Um, he just needs touchdown regression to work positively for him. Right. <laughs> you know, the guy just hasn't scored enough touchdowns. So DJ Moore is a player that I really like. Uh, and we'll talk about him again here in a minute. Um, in some, in some data that I broke down just really looking at receivers and when they break out.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's been one of my fades of the off season that I feel Almost the worst about not hey i'm I'm still I'm still not moving them up, you know super high in the ranks, so I'm not saying I'm you know uh, what was it is it paper hands i'm I'm always losing the crypto lingo. I'm not trying to go back on what I'm saying. We're staying strong. But anyway, if he can become the featured number one pass game option in this offense, of course he's going to ball out. The guy's an incredible talent. My concern has always been you got Robbie, you got McCaffrey, and now we got Terrace Marshall looking more involved than ever with Sam Darnold. Touchdown regression is not guaranteed, far from guaranteed to happen. And with the targets, again, it's just tough. Robbie Anderson could easily surpass him in overall pass game opportunities. Again, McCaffrey, Marshall, even things out. We will have to yeah, see what could... happens.
1: This last weekend, just real quick uh, routes, 96% for DJ Moore uh, with uh, Darnold in the game, 96% for Robbie Anderson, 67% for Terrace Marshall, uh, 78% for Dan Arnold. I thought that was kind of, um, you know, I know a lot of people, I don't know how much is left over for Dan Arnold, but that's, that's a good enough number. If you can get up to 75, 80% of a tight end, you can have a shot targets were 24% to Moore, 21% to Robbie, 17% to Terrace Marshall long down and distance, meaning obvious throwing uh, situations all of those players were on the field for 100% of those plays. 11 personnel, Terrace Marshall out there, that's when he gets to be on the field 100%. But when you go to 12, which is their other primary set, so two tight ends, only 20% of the plays for Terrace Marshall. However, the the player that did rotate off with him for that one snap, um, because they ran five snaps from 12 personnel, was DJ Moore. So you had Robbie Anderson out there 100% of those times. um, Just snap percentages, 93% and 93% for Robbie Anderson, 56% for Terrace Marshall. So um, it It's to your point, there's a lot of mouths to feed. I see more and Anderson, obviously leading the way, just because they're going to be on the field more. I think where Terrace Marshall's really got an opportunity to to help folks is specifically in best ball leagues, um, because I think the big play potential is going to be there. And I think he could easily lead the team in touchdowns. Yeah. And he's one of, you know, several guys, Gabriel
0: Davis, LaVisca, Chennault, Nico's not quite in that tier. I would put him kind of right there with Gabriel Davis as someone that, I know Gabriel's number four, but he's on a little bit more of a pass heavy offense potentially. And obviously Buffalo uses four wide receiver sets. One of the highest rates in the league, uh, them in the Cardinals. He, they're one injury away from balling out, but if that injury doesn't come. I just think there's going to be fewer targets than some of the truthers uh, would hope for. But his ADP hasn't been booming up, you know, super high into the ranks. So I'm checking right now to see where he's at. So I think these guys are fine targets at the end. Like I'm always thinking yeah, that Mar-
1: Marshall's typically a 12th, 13th round pick and sharper. Uh formats. I'm can slide a little further than that, like in home leagues. I'm seeing Um, a wide
0: receiver 61 on fantasy football calculator, which is more home leagues. That's great. Like you would think from all the Twitter hype that I think we see from Terrorism Marshall that he'd be firing up the ranks, but he's not. So for that reason, I am in Dwayne. Now we need to continue talking about what is up next. Oh, J.K. Dobbins. We haven't gotten to (laughs) this yet. It's a shame, Dwayne. It freaking sucks, actually. JK Dobbins one of, I think, five or six running backs to average six yards per carry in a single season over the past decade. Unfortunately, toward the ACL, he will miss the remainder of the season. And it hurts. Now, the million-dollar question, because fantasy is a cruel game and we have to immediately move on from guys and assess what will happen because Dwayne and I are paid to do that, um, is seeing what's going on with Gus Edwards. Now, before this happened, I had Gus Edwards as my RB38 flex with benefits and i thought it'd be i I still thought it'd be more of a 1a 1b situation between gus and justice hill if dobbins got hurt i'm still kind of leaning that way and i understand now it's looking like tyson williams instead of justice hill either way i don't see this being the gus edwards takeover we can't just take dobbins you know rush attempts and just add them on to what gus was already getting as much as gus is truly good i've seen the streak of seasons with five yards per carry i've Put a freaking highlight clip together the other guy. I love Gus Evers. He is a great football player. But when the Ravens brought in Lamar Jackson in 2018, like they also brought in Gus Evers to be their feature back, and he did good then, just like he's been his whole career. What did they do in 2019? They brought in Mark Ingram. 2020, second-round pick on J.K. Dobbins. I think they are going to add someone, Dwayne. I know Harbaugh said they're good right now. They're not interested in Gurley. I think they're letting all the rosters cut down for these two days. So for me, I am baking in the idea that I don't think the Ravens are done addressing this position. Gus comes in as my RB27. I think the most optimistic Gus bus stands out there. You can put him all the way up at RB 19 still be behind James Robinson, David Montgomery, Swift Carson and our consensus top 14 guys we talk about, but I'd be cool taking him ahead of, you know, Miles Sanders, Mike Davis, potentially Javante Williams. That's a pretty tough one for me, but Dwayne, I guess the question is like how much in rankings can you move Gus up now? Because that's the information we have and how much do we need to consider again, I think it's a likelihood that they add someone else because like, that was why I kept him low last weekend. I'm hearing that this dude was going off the board in the third round of some of these home drafts. And so I didn't want to cause a sense of, you know, panic with people saying I need to get Gus Edwards because as great as he is, like, why is his role? Why is his projected touches like any different than, you know, Damian Harris, then Daryl Henderson, then Raheem Mostert, like all these guys that he should not be going rounds and rounds ahead of. So give me your overall thoughts on the situation. Where you have Gus ranked and i guess just again like how you kind of feel about moving a guy keeping a guy down the rankings with the idea that they probably will add someone soon
1: yeah i think that i think that it's certainly it's a range of outcomes things right i mean they they could add someone i don't know how i would put a percentage on it and it also depends on who they add like how much do we feel how do we feel about it i mean thing with gus edwards is he, they did give him 10 million dollars this offseason to play another two years for the ravens so you know that they do like him Um, so I, I think that he'll lead the backfield. Um, but when you know, you got Lamar Jackson, that's going to get about 30%, right. Of the attempts. Well, he will get about 17, 18% of the designed attempts, and then he'll pick up another, however many percentage, you know, on scrambles. But if you just look at it purely from design rushing plays, I've got Gus Edwards at 40% right now. Um, uh, so I've got him at 236 carries. Four and a half yards per carry. It's 1,060 yards. I've got him at eight rushing touchdowns. Uh, I've got him at 18 receptions on 23 targets. They just don't throw the ball to the backs a lot, you know? Um, and I think that's where Justice Hill will pick up some more work. Um, and then I think for now, Tyson Williams will be the back that'll kind of spell Edwards. Um, I've got him at 118 attempts for 500 yards, but with the idea that that could quickly change. So those are projections. So in projections, I go ahead and update. Um, but as far as rankings go, um, to your point, I've got Gus Edwards right now, right in that miles Sanders, Daryl Henderson, uh, range. So right there around Javonta Williams, Uh, right there around Josh Jacobs, Mike Davis, you know, all those guys, Damian Harris, who we talked about earlier. um, A lot of guys that are really, you know, in the dead zone um, that I'm not just like rushing out to take. Now, I do think that there is a best case scenario um, situation, you know, for Gus. If for some reason they really do let him have it and they don't sign someone else. I mean, like if I bump this point, you know, the 40% of the team attempts to 50%, I mean, it's a 295 carry season, <laughs> you know, um, and, and that would mean, you know, obviously Tyson Williams and Justice Hill would get less work. We just haven't seen the Ravens really be willing to give that much of a workload to a player for the whole season. We've seen them do it in, in like spurts of a season. And I think you even had some cool data that you put out there on uh, the other day on that. Um, so I just, you know, it's a, the Ravens. This is a philosophy for them. They rotate receivers on and off the field. They rotate tight ends on and off the field. They rotate everyone except their offensive line and their quarterback. Um, so all the skill position players rotate. And I think part of their philosophy is they want to keep them fresh. They don't ever want to be overly dependent on any one player. Um, I think you know they're a team that's very into anal- analytics. Or as uh, you know, the Houston, David Cully would say, the analytics. Um, whatever that means, um, you know, so Kali, if you guys don't know, that's the Houston Texans head coach now, but anyway, um, I think there is a range where he could pop up, you know, and jump into that, you know, two seventy-five plus carry. I just wouldn't put it at a high probability. And so I've got him ranked right around, um, similarly to where you've got around some of those other players. I don't mind taking him. I kind of think that's his probably, uh, his median, um, I don't, I don't see his floor being way worse than that. Like I don't see somebody else coming in and cutting him back to 30% of the attempts. If that makes sense. I think he stays the lead back. Um, but he's going to have to share.
0: I would love to be able to get him as like my RB two in that round five, six range. I just can't go up to round three and take him over. No, no. Said it, man. He, he's just in the dead zone again with all these other guys that we've been, and we will continue to take top 12, top 15 wide receivers over them. Two final points I just wanted to quickly get through. The Ravens did give Gus three-year, $12.4 million deal this offseason, so I know I was saying before that they went Ingram and Dobbins. They did commit to him there. I-, I see the path to this working out. With that said, people, the most relevant one-game split we have of Gus working without Ingram, without Dobbins, came in week 12, 2020. Gus had nine touches on a 51% snap rate. Justice Hill had 11 on a 49% snap rate. Times have changed. I get it. It's, it's a little bit concerning. Like Dwayne like has said, the Ravens historically used committees. Great. We saw Mark Ingram score 15 touchdowns in 15 games. He made it work. Gus could certainly do that. But again, I would just be careful about taking him that much higher of running backs and particularly wide receivers that we think might have overall better fantasy-friendly workloads. You know, everyone's great efficiency-wise. I do wonder, though, Dwayne, like, it's a little risky assuming that Gus can go from, you know, five yards per carry, absolutely no problem annually. Like, you know, we see this happen in basketball. A lot three-point shooter can shoot 50% on four attempts per game, but you jump it up to eight, all of a sudden that plummets down to 30%. So I would just caution and assuming we're going to get the same Gus Edwards throughout the whole year, both in terms of the talent and more importantly, the opportunity. Because obviously that is always what we are chasing. A couple quick notes, um, Raheem Mostert, Got in first game of the preseason, got the George Kittle treatment. They came in first 10 plays of the 49ers' first drive. Then they went out. Mostert still very much looks fast, fast, awesome. You know, Trey Lance getting some counter usage and just all design runs. You can see how this offense could lead the NFL and rushing awfully easy. Trey Sermon came in the second drive and played every single snap. As Dwayne and I have been trying to say, both these guys are fun. even though we disagree on Mostert versus Sermon, you know, specifically. I think your fantasy team is going to be better off with either where they're going in drafts also want to point out that james robinson this will be the kind of point i want you on here Dwayne. james robinson 10 snaps last week carlos Hyde, seven but as our nathan yonke uh, pointed out and nathan my goodness people if you missed us uh, any of the preseason action just go look at nate's articles on the preseason takeaways because this dude goes through every single snap and every single game and great stuff and he brought this to my attention where yes robinson out snapped Hyde, but what happened was In the first two games of the preseason, Robinson took the first two drives, Hyde took the next two. Week three, the starters got pulled after the third drive, so we saw Robinson get the first two and Hyde only get the third. Like, I don't think it's going to be 50-50, Dwayne, but at a minimum – everyone out there needs to realize we are not seeing James RB one son returning to the same extent as we saw last year. And this is why it's so funny to me that people are fading Joe Mixon and Najee Harris for their offensive lines and their bad offenses. Like what did James Robinson do last year? Unless you think James Robinson is this international superstar, generational talent of a running back. Like he just overcame the 30th ranked scoring offense with a, OK, maybe maybe you can say underrated offensive line if you really want to be nice here. Either way, the only reason he was not good last year was because only Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry had more touches than he got hurt. So Robinson, he's still my RB 18. I got him behind Carson, Swift, Dave Montgomery. I'll take him ahead of Javante, Miles, Mike Davis and, uh, you know, everyone's flavor of the week who we just talked about gus edwards obviously so dwayne thoughts on your projected james robinson role because as much as we do talk about preseason first team snap rates they're important they're way better than the the def charts pr interns put out we could also see this shift and at least robinson now has a stranglehold in the pass down work that previously was going to etn
1: yeah i mean i've got him at rb 17 behind you know chris carson but again i'm there's a big drop. So if you look at my overall rankings and you go look at that at PFF right now, um, I'm looking at PPR. um, If you look at where I've got overall, there's a big drop once Carson goes before I would be willing to take James Robinson. There's a lot of receivers that I've got. You know, sandwiched in before I would take him, um, and yeah, Nathan hit the nail on the head. You know, so the the notes I had for the utilization report this week, um, James Robinson handled the first two drives with the starters, while 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 Hyde rotated in for the third, and then the starters were gone. So not even counting that fourth drive as being something for Hyde. Um, and the thing that makes it tougher is the Jaguars. They didn't find themselves in any type of long down and distance, any type of short down and distance situations over those first two drives. So it just made it difficult to tell. Like, is there a certain um, could situational football come into play? Meaning is one of them going to handle, you know, the passing down duties, one of them going to handle, you know, the short yardage, one to two yards to go on third or fourth down, that sort of thing. We, we didn't get enough data to really say that. So, but it was enough for me. Um, So let's say it turns into, and we've seen this type of thing before. It doesn't always, if they like both backs being able to do everything um, it could really just be more of James Robinson, two drives, Carlos Hyde, one drive. James Robinson, two drives, Carlos Hyde, one drive. To Nathan's point, um, it could also be three drives to one, four drives to one, because they may have just wanted to get Carlos Hyde in the game while there were still starters in for that third series. You know, we can't, that's where these things get a little tricky. And it's not an exact science. Um, So, and if that were the case, then all of a sudden, James Robinson would be worth his ADP, Um, you know, but right now, I'm, I'm with you. I'm leaning away. And again, a lot of it's about the receivers, Ian. And I just think there are running back profiles that you can get later in the draft that are similar to these guys that are going early. Um, they're not exactly the same. But I, when I account for the discount that you get and, and the opportunity cost of having to pass on the receivers, especially this year, every year is a little different, people. But this year, um, I like passing on Robinson. I mean, so what I would say is the upside for him right now, I'm similar to you. Um, I've, I've got him right now at at right at 50% of the attempts, you know, so 52% for me and I've only got Hyde at, uh, 23%, um, but still that's 234 attempts, 935 yards, seven rushing touchdowns. Um, and then I've got him at 44 receptions. So I've got James Robinson, you know, 309 yards receiving. I've got him at 218 fantasy points. I've got Carlos Hyde only at hundred. So it's not like I like Hyde. It's just that it's just it's just enough, Ian, to make me you know a little skeptical. Now, if it turned out it's like every four or five drives it's Robinson, or if it turns into that as the coaching staff is like, look, Robinson is clearly the better player <laughs> than Carlos Hyde, right? Then you have something because if all of a sudden you bump that fifty-two percent to sixty percent, that's two hundred sixty-seven rushing attempts versus you know what I had him at um, before, which was two hundred thirty-four. So that's what you're looking for, um, and it's possible. But again, that's 218 fantasy points where I have him right now. Even if I give him those extra carries and a few extra targets, it puts him at the 250-point range. You can draft receivers right now that are going in that range that could push for 250 points, and they've got a better floor.
0: I have, you can check out my taking stock of every team's backfield situation article up on PFF. Dot com. Went through every backfield and just gave my project, projected uh, snap splits. I have Robinson seventy percent, Carlos Hagen thirty percent. So I do think they'll extend it a little bit more than what we saw in the preseason. Not quite the twenty twenty levels, but you know what? We got it in twenty twenty. We should feel good about that. I will say though, Dwayne, if anything, getting some of these injuries, you know, having Tariq Cohen still out and all that, I think the dead zone almost like starts after Robinson, I'm not saying I'm taking these guys in the third still, but like, can we just call like Carson Swift, Montgomery and Robinson, like vampires? Cause I feel bad, like grouping them in with all these other guys. I think we need to have like a slightly more defined uh zone with all this, but I think he s-
1: technically, technically he fits the definition though, right? A back without draft capital. We saw him go grab, you know, Travis, you know, ETN. So, I mean, he fits like the criteria of what you're looking for in a dead zone back. But to your point, He did prove that he could do it last year, right? I like his situation way better than Miles Gaskin, who we've basically just heard, like, they're just going to use three backs. They're just gonna uh, until, you know, Miles Gaskin completely strips that job away, which we just don't know if he will. So, um, yeah, I would put him ahead of those players. Again, it's just the opportunity cost for me, Ian. Um, Well, last night in the draft we were in, I think it was the guy in front of us took him at like round three, pick three, (laughs) James Robinson. (laughs) So we definitely don't want to be doing that. But it's all about roster construction. Say you start off with four receivers, um, and or three receivers and a tight end. Say you start off with, uh, you know, Devonte Adams. You come back, you get Waller, and then you know you you nab. Say you get lucky and you get a CD Lamb or a Terry McLaurin, and you come back with a Cooper Cup kind of a situation. Then grab if James Robinson's there in the fifth round and you wanna go ahead and grab a back and then come back to receiver again and then grab a couple more backs, then I think you could make that work. My problem is I struggle figuring, I, I looking at all the backs that are in that range, I really struggle to say, this is the one I wanna put my chip on. And I don't have a reason to do that with James Robinson over some of the others. So typically what I do is I go ahead and take another receiver in that round and then I see which one of those backs fall to me in the sixth. And if they all go, we get to take a player like we did last night with Raheem uh, Mostert or Trey Sermon, someone like that.
0: A couple other quick notes before we get to another discussion here. Uh, find something you hate as much as Buffalo hates running the football. We <laughs> Josh Allen out there for 33 snaps in his preseason debut. He dropped back on 28 of those. I mean, I was pounding the Zach Moss drum earlier this offseason. The hamstring injury did not help him take over this backfield. Even though he is back, it looks awfully split between him and Singletary. And we even got Matt Breida getting like schemed usage as like a slot wide receiver RB hybrid. Uh, The answer is no people, you know, apologies for those of you drafting earlier in the offseason. You know, I misled you a little bit on Moss. Look, he was always someone that I just thought we could draft at value. And he still could become a, you know, low, you know, An RB3, a low-end RB3. That's his best-case scenario. We don't want running backs where their best-case scenario is a low-end RB3. Bills still have 258 million reasons to maybe not run Josh as often near the goal line, but maybe they're just going to pass the ball 900 freaking times this year. My bad on Moss. Singletary is a better value, but I think the answer is probably just no. Don't forget about Christian McCaffrey's handcuff. Chuba Hubbard was at 27 of 28 first-team snaps through the first two weeks. Last week, 35 of 41 snaps with Sam Darnold. Absolutely love to see it. I uh, mentioned earlier, but shout out, Gabriel Davis had an awesome game with Stefan Diggs out, really getting that starting treatment. LaVisca Chennault against the Cowboys showed off that you know ability to break tackles. I mean, the fact this guy is playing close to 230 pounds, he really does run like a Cheeto with thoughts of an assassin, as some might say. Uh, Cortland Sutton back there, Shadow Realm, some poor cornerback, took him off the TV screen on the wide receiver cornerback. Iso Cam, he looks healthy. I'm excited to see him out there. Week one, PFF Fantasy Football Podcast alumni Nico Collins started ahead of Chris Conley, scored a touchdown. He's looking right there with Brandon Cooks. And hey, people, they're saying in Houston that uh, any veteran is available for sale. Brandon Cooks, David Johnson are the ones being rumored a little bit. I'm not guessing that Tyrod's going to enable more than one fantasy relevant wide receiver. It could be Nico Collins, though. Uh, Shout out Terrace Marshall balling out all season. As Dwayne mentioned earlier, just uh, briefly, maybe it was off the pod, but anyway, Captain America, Chris Evans, really impressive game. I mean, for him to catch a 29-yard touchdown from the slot and just, you know, beat his man, it was good to see it on film because we've heard talks out of Bengal Camp really all August that Evans was playing very well, looking like a good pass catcher. And at this point, I am fine, you know, preferring him as a handcuff over Samaj Piron. Because if mixing gets hurt, then Evans and Piron, I believe, are going to split snaps, and Evans should have the more fancy friendly pass down role. So Some quick notes there, but Dwayne, I think our next uh, topic of discussion needs to be about the Broncos because an interesting thing happened here as, you know, as great as Javante was in week one, breaking tackles. And then we had this, you know, viral blitz pickup in week two that you love to see from your rookies. He was still splitting first team snaps with Royce Freeman. Then a funny thing happened in week three. Coach Vic Fangio decided to rest his rookie running back that they traded up for to get in the top of the second round. He was quoted by saying the following. No, he wasn't dealing with anything. We wanted to feature Melvin Gordon early in the game and then give the other guys, the young guys, a chance. We felt good about what Javante has done the first couple of weeks. So, Dwayne, I think now there is a chance that Javante is the week one starter. If not, I do think it's going to be Melvin and Javante Royce distant third option. That's what this tells me. And I feel good about still having Javante right there as a low end RB two. And again, as someone, I think we should really be targeting in the fifth, sixth round as our potential second running back, particularly for those in a keeper league, because we just historically see these top three round backs uh, really see a nice ADP jump from year one to year two. So newfound expectations for the Broncos backfield. Dwayne go
1: Yeah, um, I've been out on Javonta Williams at ADP. And, um, you know, you guys, if you follow me on Twitter, um, you've seen me talk about it's really hard for these second round running backs to overcome some of these veterans. But I think Melvin Gordon's injury through the preseason, just like what you talked about with Zach Moss, it just opened the door. Right. And Javonta Williams came out and looked really good. So I think Javonta Williams starts out the season most likely handling all of the early down work. Uh, I say all of it. I've got 45% of the rushing attempts going to Williams, 35% going to Melvin Gordon, 5% uh, going to, to Royce Freeman, um, the rest of the quarterbacks. Um, and so I think it's there's an opportunity though, Ian, that he could grow his role. We, we've seen that they don't really like him out there so far on the passing downs, but he can improve on that throughout the season. Um, and so I, I feel like him not having to play shows enough that the coaches, one, they like what they've already seen from him. And they even said that in the post game comments. But then, number two, they don't want to get him hurt. That means they've got a plan for this player. Um, So I feel really good about it. I think early in the season, you could struggle a little bit with Javante and game scripts. If the Broncos get behind, I think Gordon and Freeman are going to get more of the work on the passing down uh, stuff, but maybe not. It could just be more Freeman. Gordon didn't even really get any of the passing down work um, this past week. It was Freeman getting all of that. So the other potential scenario here is... Is Javante just really the starting back period, and Melvin Gordon is kind of more of the odd man out? I mean, I think there's a range of outcomes here, so I think it makes Javante worth uh, the the pick in the fifth round or the sixth round, but knowing that you want to come back, especially if he's your RB2. You want to come back later. Uh, you want to grab a Sony Michelle, uh, another player with upside that's going to have a role. You could use him early. Uh, you want to take you know, a player like James Conner, uh, a player like Naheem Hines, before coming back and tagging on some more of those upside plays like an Alexander Madison and Chuba Hubbard, if you choose to go with the one anchor RB and your RB2 is Javonta Williams. So all I'm saying is just make, make appropriate plans. That this could this could shake out a little bit differently. I think game scripts are still going to matter, but overall, I think it's enough of a positive move that I'm willing to that I'm pushing for more exposure to, to Javante Williams, even at his ADP, than what I was doing before.
0: Okay, I want to quickly sum up my final preseason notes here. Uh, as we found out, T.Y. Hilton expected to miss several weeks with a neck injury. Elevates Paris Campbell into three wide receiver sets. I would just say, people, you know, even the most optimistic Colts fans here at this point, we have Carson Wentz on the COVID list, center Ryan Kelly's on the COVID list, tackle Eric Fisher's on the COVID list, still dealing with his comeback from the Achilles issue. There other tackles, Sam Tevy will miss the entire season with a torn ACL. Like, Jonathan Taylor will get fed. I get that. He will be an upside RB2 at absolute worst. If he's as good as a lot of people think, I'm sure he can comfortably finish as an RB1. I don't hate Michael Pittman and Campbell as worthwhile you know darts in the later rounds just realize you know this is still this is a fairly crowded below like fairly crowded passing game without a ton of upside and they have a starting quarterback who has unfortunately been barely able to stay on the practice field over the past month. so i remember the uh, super book came out And uh, shout out Jack Miller. He does great stuff over uh, with the artist formerly known as Roto World. And he basically calculated all the over-unders to see like who Vegas thinks are going to be the top five offenses. And the the Colts came in number four on that. And it kind of made me like check myself like, hey, am I just too down on this offense as a whole with all these injuries going people? No, I'm going against that. I would not be, you know, again, would not be signing up to really be starting any Colts in week one other than Jonathan Taylor. Quickly, uh, sometimes not playing the preseason is actually good, particularly for Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards. Could they have used the extra reps? Maybe but we now know that they are locked in as starters in three wide receiver sets alongside Jalen Ramsey's kryptonite, Hunter Renfro. So Darren Waller still the number one receiver in Vegas, but you know, for rugs, for Edwards, even for like a Jets rookie, Elijah Moore, the fact they didn't do anything in the preseason could be better in the long run because it's keeping their ADPs awfully affordable. Um, just real quick news that has broke during the podcast, nothing too major. We already had the huge break in Chris Herndon trade, of course, Giants are unsure of Saquon's av- av- availability in week one. They just said he needs to get some more practices under his belt first before they make a decision. Once again, this is just them not making a decision right now because they don't have to, but there's, again, no new medical issues with Saquon's injury. Again, check out that podcast I'm have coming up with Dr. Edwin Porras, and he has some excellent information on Saquon. The Eagles released Jordan Howard, which is good news for the Miles Sanders potential to lead that committee. Still expecting Boston Scott and even and Kenny Gamewell to be involved as well. By the way, please change your number, Kenneth. Man, who name a good 14 running back ever? There isn't one. And mentioned this before, Dwayne Tyler Huntley. He won the backup job over Trace McSorley. That Penn State-Nittany line is out of the picture now. I'm sure they'll try to keep him on the practice squad. But shout out Tyler Huntley. And my final preseason shout out. Jesper Horstead, seven targets, five catches, 104 yards, and three scores. Wasn't easy. He caught the touchdown, the awesome Justin Fields highlight, where he was rolling out, managed to get it to his guy. Then he had an absurd one-handed catch on the run, third trip to the end zone, ended up outrunning a few guys. So will Horstead have a consistent weekly roll? I really freaking doubt it. They already have Cole and Jimmy Graham there. Either way, great players make great plays and great games. Shout out to you, Jesper Horstead. Should have said big instead of great. We'll we'll worry about it later, Dwayne. I just know, Dwayne, you have an excellent article here coming up. I believe it's going to be published on Wednesday, maybe Thursday. But, uh, yeah, let the people know about your breakout and fade wide receiver candidates and, I guess, what you were trying to accomplish here with this piece.
1: Yeah, so I just wanted to go in and really – because if you look – at the how much wide receivers have been pushed up the board, right this year, I think you just really need to be comfortable with which receivers you really want to target, which ones you want to fade. How comfortable are you taking a rookie receiver uh, earlier, like what we're seeing with Jamar Chase and other guys like that? Um, second year receivers, um, you know, it's there's a big push of uh, Brandon Ayuk and Claypool and all these different players up the board, and so it can be a bit uncomfortable for folks because it could feel aggressive. And so I really just wanted to dig in and say, how comfortable really should we be, you know, with this? And so what I did is I went back and I looked at show me all the receivers essentially that got at least to a 20% target share. Um, and it's an adjusted target share, meaning they had to have played at least eight games. And then I, you know, I would prorate it for the, for the games that they played. Um, and if you look at this list and you look at historically the players that have really had a huge season, um, potentially coming after, uh, one of those 20% seasons is when they've hit it by age 23, when they've hit that 20% target, um, threshold by age 23. And so if you look back, AJ green, you know, he did that, um, when he was 23 in his first season, he was at a 22%. He jumped to 29% target share the following year, Deandre Hopkins, um, 22% or at 22 years old, he hit that number. It was in his second season and he hit 25% target share that year. His next year, he jumped to 30%, right? So then you look at Des Bryant. Now he was an exception. He was 24 years old when he finally hit the 20% adjusted target share, which was at 21% in his third season. Next year, jump 6% up to 27%. Mike Evans at the age of 21 in his rookie season um, hit the 23% mark and in the next year hit 29%. So here are your players that are between ages 21 and 23 that have accomplished all those things that the players above um, have also accomplished. And so you're looking for some guys that can make some big jumps. A.J. Brown, um, 24% at um uh, you know, his second season at 23 years old. Brandon Ayuk, 23 years old, first season, got to an adjusted target share of 22%. Then you got DJ Moore. I know DJ Moore seems like he's been around forever, but, you know, he's he's still a young player. He hasn't hit 25 yet. This will be his 25 year, 25 season. Um, he hit that 22% mark in his second season at age 22. DK Metcalf also hit it last year, second season, 22%, age 23. Jerry Judy, Justin Jefferson, Also on the list, the surprise players, a lot of people don't think about Marquise Brown is on this list. He hit that at age 23 in his second year with an adjusted target share of 23%. And then you have DJ Chark, 23 years old um, in his second season, hit a 21% target share. And last year he actually dropped down to 18%, um, but he was playing injured. And then one final one, Ian, super sneaky player, um, Christian uh, Kirk, 23 years old. He hit it. Um, That was in his second season. He got to a 22% adjusted target share. Now he did drop to a 15% in his N plus one season after that um, last season, but he still did accomplish the feat. And so those are just guys that you're looking at. You can get later. The other thing I really wanted to look at is because the rookies are going so high, like how comfortable should you be with some of these rookies? So let me just break down here the all of the rookie receivers since 2011 that have gone with a top six pick, Um, and I'm not going to include Kyle Pitts' name here, but maybe I should. Right, the way things are uh, in the Twitter streets. But AJ Green was pick four. He finishes wide receiver 17 as a rookie. Amari Cooper uh, was pick four. Finishes wide receiver 21 as a rookie. Corey Davis was pick five. Wide receiver 85. He's our bust. Julius uh, Julio Julius Julio Jones, (laughs) draft pick six wide receiver 21 in his rookie season. Justin, just, Black, Justin Julius Blackman. Jones. Julius yeah, Jones. Yeah, over, really. I am a Cowboys fan. So <laughs> you got to run. A lot,
0: you got to run. A I, I, back. I, I,
1: I do need to Julius Jones was great on draw plays, but that was, uh, was, uh, was. Uh, Justin Blackman was pick five. He was wide receiver 29 in his rookie season. And then Sammy Watkins was pick four wide receiver 29. So if you notice something, um, there was only one wide receiver that didn't finish as wide receiver 36 or better. So that means a wide receiver three or better. And then you had three of those receivers give you wide receiver two seasons and Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, and AJ Green. Now I'm not saying the rookies we have this year are those players, but at the end of the day, they do hit the top six criteria. The NFL seems to be pretty good at hitting on this. So Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle both fit inside that criteria. Chase typically goes anywhere between round four and round six. People have let off the gas a little bit on Jamar Chase now. So I like, Buying the Jamar Chase uh, round six um, is fine, I think, for him. Um, I didn't like buying him at round four, but round six, I'm I'm good with it. Um, there are some concerns with Chase, right? Is he ready? He's looked rusty. He's been away from football for 20 months. All those things, so he's having to work through a lot of that. So he could start slow. But the one I love, Ian, is Jalen Waddle, and you can get him in round nine or round 10. And so he was a top six play. Uh, I think he's going to be in the slot the whole time. He should get. Between seventy-five and eighty percent of the routes per drop back for the team, so easy money. Looking at Jalen Waddle, ninth, tenth round pick.
0: Yeah, though again, we've I've gone over this on Waddle several times, but he just been has seemingly getting penalized for injuries that aren't there and a limp that you know is there but it's not him actually being injured yeah we've seen rondale moore how great he uses terrence marshall has had a great preseason waddle is the one that earned the number six overall pick in the freaking draft and could very well i mean you should probably be favored to lead this offense and targets as it is so love that Dwayne. everyone make sure you check that out on pff.com and you know sometimes i see some of you looking at our articles and all that. And you might say, hey, I pay for this. I'm not trying to pay for it. Well, people, you can get 30% off any PFF subscription to all first-time subscribers with promo code KICKOFF30 for $7, people. PFS Fantasy Football Draft Guide, player rankings and projections, including mine and Dwayne's rankings, all of PF's locked article content, cheat sheets for your fantasy draft, and more. Again, promo code KICKOFF30 for 30% off any PFF sub, all this for seven bucks, go to your grocery store. Look at the stack of, you know, fantasy magazines that were probably written in June or July. I've been there. I've done those before. Those things are outdated and they cost more than seven bucks. You can get far more than that. You know, I was at the gym earlier, you know, shout out me and went get, get a very expensive smoothie that if I get like two of them, it's going to cost more than my gym membership. Anyway, that thing costs 10 bucks. You could have gotten all this for seven, $7 people in this economy. What a deal. Code kickoff30, 30% 30 off any PFS subscription. Also, shout out to our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is free, fantasy football league manager is the most customizable, easy to use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. If you're coming from another site, that is no problem. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues completely free. Create a free account now using promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF. You get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league plus six grand. Give me that. Give me Vegas. We'll turn that six grand to a hundred grand. No freaking problem on those craps tables. Again, promo code PFF at fantrax.com slash PFF. And I'll be remiss if I didn't mention people, the NFL is back and DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL is giving all new players a can't miss offer for week one, bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what, take advantage of this limited time offer now. Here we go. Big moment here. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet at any week, one game. That's promo code PFF to get your free $200 in free bets instantly. Limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Official sports betting partner in the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers, only restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. I wanted it in one breath. We didn't get there, Dwayne. I watched the film and get
1: better you should do side effects for drug companies like i think you can do it i think you're close
0: <laughs> we're close well like i said <laughs> we, we can all get better at all parts of life in all parts of the podcast so Dwayne, great stuff as always we're gonna be back recording thursday with our buddy andrew erickson we're gonna have our favorite pick in each and every fantasy round hopefully we'll talk about some more guys we just haven't gotten to over the past you know six seven months and then we're on to week one i can't wait First week, one will be a little bit funky just because there's no waiver wires and there's going to be no games to review from Sunday. But generally, people are in season schedule. This is what you can expect Monday morning probably Sunday night, honestly, just after the games are over, we're going to have a game-by-game review, trying to look at stuff that you know pops outside the box score, immediately look ahead to next week. On Tuesday, we're going to have a waiver-wire-centered episode and also just some more general notes from week one. On Wednesday, Dwayne and I will be doing a game-by-game breakdown of everything. Thursday will be a special guest. We are happy enough to lock down Roto-World's own John Daigle for week one. Friday is going to be a uh, DFS, more centered show. And we'll, you know, again, look ahead of some injury stuff. And then Saturday morning, we'll have an episode released that will go over all the key injury news from Friday. And last but not least, we'll have a live show Sunday mornings, The Start Sit I want to call it the start-sit hour, but I think it's going to be about 45 minutes. But yeah, we're just going to be answering all your start-sit questions as fast as possible. This is not a show with start-sit questions. This is a show solely devoted to answering your start-sit questions. I mean, I remember sending just a tweet and trying to take 20 minutes last year, at every 10 a.m. on Sundays, and a good five or 600 of you would be uh, having questions. And hey, you want to win your games? We want you to win your games come check out the start, sit 45, start, sit hour, whatever the hell we're going to call it. And we will try to do just that. So that's our pod schedule, Dwayne. I know, man, this is the last week that you can republish anything. We obviously got a lot of fancy drafts going on this weekend. What can people find from you on pff.com to help them dominate?
1: Yeah, I'll be, I'll be putting all my tier article stuff back out there, obviously updating the rankings every day. Um, You'll have this uh, wide receiver um, breakout and fade candidates that will hit tomorrow. And then I'm trying to think what else do I have? Like off the top of my head, Ian, I don't know, man, I have like a bunch of stuff. (laughs) Oh, I've got more strategy articles uh, based on some of the drafts I've done with the FFPC. Um, I'm going to put out uh, two more articles this week on different draft positions. I put out one late last week. So if you're interested um, in joining any formats like that, where you're dealing more in that mid stakes, high stakes type league, just breaking down what those players are doing um, and how you handle roster construction from different positions in the draft. Great stuff
0: always from Mr. McFarland. I've also updated my 10 tips, general strategy guide. Check those out at pff.com. He's Dwayne. I'm Ian. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.